Hello team and welcome to episode 12 of the Grad Life podcast. I apologize for the delay between the last episode and this one. It's because in the time in between I've actually left Australia and I'm now traveling around South America and I'm currently in Buenos Aires in Argentina <laughs> where I've been very fortunate to come across uh, two handsome young Texans um, <laughs> who go by the name of Adol Resby and Garrett Gorger. <coughs> And Adel and Garrett are both um, young sort of entrepreneurs and, and have their own businesses and are just living um, a pretty cool lifestyle down here in, in Buenos Aires and having a lot of fun. So I thought I'd have them on, talk about their experience, um, what they're doing, why they're doing it, and the pros and cons of living that sort of laptop entrepreneur lifestyle that I think a lot of people out there sort of crave and um, really, really want to be able to live. So we get two real life laps, uh, laptop life guys. Um, and get to hear about their experience. So we'll have a three-way conversation. Um, first time doing this method on the podcast, but we'll see what it works or how it works. And you guys just let me know what you think. So we'll start off maybe with uh, Otto, just to hear a little bit about your experience. So you, you didn't go to university. Uh, I actually, <laughs> I, was, uh, uh, I did attend uh, the University of Texas in Austin for, for one year. Um, I was uh, on a pre-law path. I was double majored in political communication and nice. uh, Asian studies. And I uh, realized a year uh, out that law was not really my path and I didn't necessarily know um, what I wanted to do. I had uh, uh, a lot of interest and, and uh, experience in the tech space and so I um, decided, okay, I'm just gonna go and, and work in tech for a little while and just kind of see um, what it is that I like and perhaps go back to college having a clearer understanding of the direction I want my life to go. Mm. Um, Surely that decision didn't go down very well with the family, did it? Oh, it was a tough one. No, yeah. it was definitely a tough one. Uh, my uh, <coughs> grandfather actually came to this country for education. He's a professor emeritus at uh, Cornell University. Right. And um, just the importance of uh, like an academic education um, is... Uh, very, very important to my family. And um, no, it definitely took a series of conversations and I think uh, um, my, uh, my parents are now proud of, uh, of uh, me and the life that I'm living. And yeah. um, you know, they can really see that you know, my path is different and uh, they're on board with it. So yeah. Um, yeah. Jesus, I, I, I will want to ask you a little bit more about sure. the, the, kind of the process of dropping out and that sort of thing. But maybe just give the guys a, a brief run through of what you're up to now as well. So what's happening? Not, not what's happening in the meantime. We'll get to that. But just what you're doing at the moment. Sure. Yeah. At the moment, <laughs> I'm um, doing a little bit of consulting, uh, you know, marketing, and uh, building online presences uh, for early to mid stage uh, startups. Um, but most of my time is focused uh, primarily on um, uh, working with my private uh, crypto group. Um, but we uh, are a group of investors who kind of find um, undervalued projects in the blockchain space um, and uh, essentially get in before they, um, they really start their marketing and their hype and stuff and, and do what we can do to um, make those projects successful. So like venture capital for cryptocurrency type of thing, to, to simplify it. To simplify it, yeah. I would say that, uh, yeah, it, there's definitely the... The raising the the fundraising aspect of it, and then there's also the um, the value adding aspect of it after mm. after the money's raised. Yeah. Okay. All at the ripe old age of twenty five. 
pretty impressive. 20, 25 years old. Yes, sir. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and Gareth, then what about you? What, what, are, you, what are you doing down here? Uh, so I, I'm managing my uh, <coughs> my e-commerce website that I started a couple of years ago now. Well, yeah, sure, it's been a couple of years. But uh, <laughs> how many years was it? It's just almost two now. Yeah, yeah it feels it's it's January still, last year. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it I worked on it for several months before it started, but it uh, went online like January 2016. Right. Okay. So yeah, so I'm running that, um, trying to fo- focusing right now a lot on on expanding beyond the U.S. market. Uh, it, not completely unrelated to me being in Argentina, <laughs> but uh, right now I'm just just kind of trying to have fun with uh, the having a location independent business. It's been so you you reached a point in the business where you were able to move away from its hub and just run it from a laptop anywhere in the world, really. Yeah, yeah, that that came. I, w- I don't know when exactly it came, but it, it was it was somewhere about six months ago that that uh, I was able to. I'd been kind of building the business with that in mind uh, from a pretty early stay or a pretty early phase in the business. I wanted to to set it up um, where I could I could step away and do some of these things that I've always yeah. wanted to do. Yeah. Um, but that's what I talked. We talked a little bit last night. I'm kind of worried that that's <laughs> that could change soon, but. That it's going, it's growing it, beyond that sort of lifestyle, lifestyle business section, yeah. Right, right, and I've I've tried to put like, and that sounds weird, but I've tried to put like some constraints as far as like how much you know how many man hours go into the uh, actual operation of the business, but um, it's still continuing to to, yeah. to grow. So I guess that's a good thing, but I might <laughs> you, have to. You poor thing, your business grows. <laughs> <too laughs> I might fast. have to become an actual you know regular person eventually <laughs> when they listen to this a lot of guys will be thinking that bastard <laughs> but you your educational background isn't a, a business one no not not really I, it was uh, engineering I've, I've always been interested in um, in making things from a from a young age and that's it's kind of weird now that I'm doing something in the e-commerce space but I, I did industrial engineering at uh, A&M Texas A&M right. and uh, I Dabble, I did a minor in business, but that's just because I, I always had a little bit of interest in it. Um, but the but the business wasn't started because I you know it was it started because it was it was kind of a rare opportunity and I I don't know I I started out out of my dad's business. Yeah, it sounds like you had seen your dad's business like growing up. You just witnessed it grow as well and became intimately f- familiar with it and then saw an opportunity for it yourself. Right, so my, 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 uh, I guess to, to summarize that, my dad has a, a, um, a business in our, in our hometown and I kind of grew up working in that. And right out of college, um, I went into that and right at the same time as the oil market kind of turned around. And it was an business, oil services company. Right, it was an oil services yeah. company, so it was extremely tied to that. So um, things just started really like getting really slow and I got you know for about six months there I was like trying to figure out where to take the my career and not only like I just had kind of this this panic attack and I was like oh I'm gonna do I'm gonna like look at myself five years in the future and I'm doing the exact same thing like yeah. running a service company and and like it's I, I just didn't see any 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 uh, future in that so yeah. I, I just I had to start something and this about it took about six months for it to to really uh, to go anywhere. Yeah. Okay. What about what was that six months like? Because you had um, you had spoken with some pretty famed space exploration companies as well, uh, really prestigious kind of jobs there. Yeah. You well, passed that by to go and do this thing that you say for six months was was pretty yeah, enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. That was uh, <laughs> there was definitely some uh, some. Um, 
Well, I wouldn't say regret, but I definitely look back on the on the situation. Like, right coming out of college, I could have I could have pursued like a you know traditional career for an engineer, and um, I had chosen to go into this you know very small business that my dad had run, and I'd, it would always it had always been kind of my my dream to do that, go into the business and see where I could take a you know small business, but. When I saw that that wasn't really going anywhere, I, I kind of broke off and yeah, okay. did my own thing. But, but for that six months, that was that was rough. Uh, at least until I saw like the potential building with with the, yeah. the website and. Uh, what was it like? Like, were you making any money, or did you need to? Were you doing it wrong and you needed to change? Or it it was making money. Um, when was your first month? Oh, the, the first month, I think we did four hundred dollars and. Right, and okay. revenue. <laughs> so at that point, you're thinking, "Whoops, well, wrong decision." Right. <laughs> it, it took it took about two or three weeks for before we got our first sale, and that was a little bit stressful. Just like going online and and then suddenly realizing, like, shit, like people uh, aren't just going to come to the, they're not just going to find this website. So I <laughs> figure out like, okay, how do I market a website? Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, you know went went down, went really deep into that, and then figured out a couple of good strategies for me to to build our, uh, the business on. And, uh, so I got into that and then we started getting orders in. I'm like, okay, well, how do I fulfill orders? Yeah. <laughs> and just kind of managed it one problem by one, just kind of taught myself throughout that. And but, you had, you had to do every aspect of the business yeah. then. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when, when you start something like that, on, uh, it's on a small scale, like you don't have the luxury of having the, uh, experts or that, uh, that can manage all the stuff that you don't know, but yeah, but Garrett became very, very, uh, knowledgeable around search engine optimization, you know, Google shopping, AdWords, yeah. I and mean, all these things. He started from zero and taught himself and now he's, you know, a certified professional. Yeah. No, yeah. Not, not, not anywhere <laughs> close, but uh, proficient enough to to serve my business's purposes. You would have had your own equivalent to that with the the finance stuff. So like investing and having to dig into crypto and all that sort of thing. It's not business administration. But you still had to dive deep into a topic. What was the topic? What, yeah. what did you need to upskill in? Like, what's the difference between these guys or who you were and who you are now in relation to your skill and in investing and, and knowledge of crypto? Great question. Yeah. Well, uh, as a, to give you a little bit more background on me, I've always been the type of person who, if there's something that I'm not interested in, I don't give it very much attention. Yeah. But if it's something that I'm actually interested in, I will do a deep dive and get you know, um, into the, uh, the nitty gritty and, you know, um, truly understand like what, what this is. And it was, um, I've, I've, I bought my first Bitcoin, I think in 2011. Um, and so it's something, it's a space that I was familiar with and I knew about, but I didn't get super, super deep until, uh, like beginning of this year. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, it really required kind of multiple aspects, right? There's the, um, there's a technical aspect of understanding the underlying technology blockchain when we're looking at different projects, um, being able to like go through the GitHub and understanding like, okay, is this, um, actually a project that has legs or not? Um, and, uh, so there's kind of a, the technical aspect of it. We have to look at like the team that's in place, um, doing, I mean, I've, I have some experience doing like due diligence, um, for, uh, venture deals, but this is kind of, um, it's a different space entirely. So even if someone does have like a really great track record and they've like done other companies before, crypto is its own, yeah. you know, beast. I would say like we're looking at, um, you know, like the internet was in '95, but with '98 or '99 prices. Yeah. And so being able to kind of um, risk manage, uh, I would say, is like 
been something that I've had to learn as well. Very interesting having to do that. So you compare it, say, to VC and uh, doing due diligence mm -hmm. for VC and, and to the students out there, due diligence just being um, the research you have to do on a company, how it should be priced, all like looking into it on a really, really, really minute, granular level so that you thoroughly understand its dynamics, etc. Um, and that's what all the young guys do in, in these uh, investment banks in the M&A sections and then VC funds, venture capital funds, PE, private equity. A lot of the junior guys just do loads and loads of due diligence with this stuff. So that's what he's talking about. And at the same time, uh, you know, I don't do all this on my own by any means. Yeah, of you, know, I've got, you, you were saying you've got this kind of syndicate or like... Yeah, kind of yeah, there's over 60 of us and like we all we kind of like crowdsource the, the research aspect of it. We, you know, do different levels of due diligence yeah. um, and uh, I think in conjunction with working a lot with a lot of people that are much, much smarter than I am, you know, we're able to actually... Uh, um, get into some like really good deals. Yeah, what I was gonna say is that I find it interesting, I'm sure it is uh, challenging to do due diligence on an industry that has never existed before. So it's not like you can look back at 50 years worth of Bitcoin or uh, cryptocurrency and say, this is how the dynamic has changed or evolved. Definitely. It's, you've got, you, you got a, probably five years, probably about five years of, uh, of data there, which is very, very small and choppy and, you know, lots of gaps in between. Yeah, and even the five years of data, it's been such a shit show. For exactly. Last, you know, it's like, you, there, there's very little historical data that you can go off of and be like, oh, okay, yeah. You know, I, I don't know of anyone who has, like, successfully done a crypto, uh, exited, and now they're onto their second crypto or yeah. anything like that, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a really, really interesting challenge. What I find so difficult about what Otto's doing, or I guess to wrap my head around, is that unlike a traditional investment like a stock or a bond or something, there's no like it's it's completely different. A coin is just completely different than yeah. than a traditional investment. So it's really hard to to say exactly how you get like what is the true value of that. Of yeah. that. So it's it's I'm sure it makes it very difficult. Though. It's it's challenging uh, as well because. You're you're absolutely right. It's not just like a store of value. It's not like a stock in a company. Coins have their own sets of incentives, and that's really kind of one of the more interesting uh, aspects of them is that they can be many many different things at the same time. What and do you mean? Give like simple examples. Sure. Yeah. So, for example, there's a company I invested in um, called Populous, and what they do is. Um, there's something called the invoice factoring market. Are you familiar with this? Right, no, I haven't yeah, heard. so it actually makes up 23% uh, of all global banking profits. But essentially, whenever, say for example, uh, you know, you're running an engineering company, you have um, a, uh, you know, you've got a project, the six month long project, and, you know, say the total uh, payout for that project is $50,000. However, you only get ten thousand up front, and you've got your employees to pay. You've got you know bills to pay. You can't wait for that six months to end in order to sub survive as a business. Yeah. So what you do is you take your invoice, you know, fifty k invoice. You go and you sell it to um, a bank or you know an institution that would essentially buy your invoice for say. Um, actually, now they're. It's, I think it's like. They take twenty to thirty percent, something ridiculous. But say, for example, they give you forty thousand um, for the invoice. You have forty thousand today that you're able to like pay your bills off and do everything. And yeah. the bank or, uh, would eventually make the um, additional ten thousand um, off of that invoice as, as right. A, as okay. Bit, right. So 
right now there's you know there's a huge opportunity in the market first of all because they don't really take small invoices right it's like sometimes there are minimums i mean they're taking 20 to 30 percent of the total invoice it's hurting it's hurting small businesses yeah um so what populist allows for its token holders to do is essentially um not only is the token like a uh store of value in terms of um how much the total market cap for populist is it's also the vehicle to um allow for like Essentially, the populist platform democratizes this process. So now I can go and buy an invoice for, and um, make five to five percent or ten percent off, right, of, off of that invoice, and like a business owner can get their invoices funded um, using uh, yeah, and, and still you know walking with ninety to ninety five percent of yeah. of the of the invoice. So um, it allows me to like have a secondary form of income. I'm actually making money off of these invoices, um, and it allows the business owner to um, you know, get actually a decent amount for, for their yeah. invoices. So the populist token allows for me as a token holder to essentially go and purchase these invoices. And, um, you can't, yeah, like it's a, uh, it's a, so you can kind of see how it's a different entity than just like how much populist is valued. Yeah, right exactly. Now, right? There's so many different dimensions. To yeah. This. I'm just thinking, and for me as well, for my simple little mind, are you able to explain Bitcoin? Yeah, not not but Bitcoin cryptocurrency, like quickly, concisely, sort of. A, a, I, I can do my best. You know, I I feel like I, I butcher it, <laughs> but I'll. Uh, I mean, I I can do the the best that I can. So like some um, people are going to be thinking it's interesting what he's saying, but what the hell? Is what he what are you about talking about? Yeah, 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 for sure. So, um, Bitcoin uh, to to kind of tell you a little bit about what it is. It's a decentralized what they call cryptocurrency and um, it's based on a technology called blockchain and by understanding blockchain you'll have a little bit better of an understanding of how yes. Bitcoin works so um, my, say, uh, my, I've got a, so I need to simplify things for myself yeah my, yeah yeah my really simple understanding of blockchain well, is that we all look at the same ledger so that's like a you know when you go on and look at your bank account and you see there was a transaction in a bar, a transaction in a restaurant, whatever. We all see the exact same ledger for everyone. Only it's instead of saying this is Mark's account and he's got 200 and um, Otto's got 400. It's just your code name and my code name or your number or whatever. So we don't know who it is and so privacy is protected. But I can't have a plus 400, say without there being a minus 400 somewhere else and everybody sees that that transaction makes sense and that's what securitizes it. But then also that centralizes it as well. I, I, I could well be wrong, but look on your face, it sounds like I'm wrong. Uh, no, no, you're not wrong. And uh, like, there, it's, a, um, it's like part of the truth, I would say that. Okay. Um, just to give you an understanding of the underlying mechanism. Um, so just like you were saying, right, it's a, it's a ledger. So instead of me, you know, handing you $5, I'm, you know, here you have a, you've got a notebook right here, right? Yeah. So on this notebook, um, and I write down, Adil gives uh, Mark $5, Yeah. right? Um, instead of Adil, it would be like my address and yes. your address and the amount, right? And so I would write that down on this sheet of paper. Now you send Garrett $10. So now Mark sends Garrett 10 And so now this sheet of paper is starting to fill up with all ah, of these. So on the next line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Various uh, transactions. Um, and all of these, like that, 
uh, sheet of paper, that ledger is being maintained um, across all of the what we call nodes on the um, on the Bitcoin network. Nodes being perspectives from or like points of view from which people can look at it. No nodes. Nodes are like the computers that are on the network. Okay. Okay. So the ones that are actually maintaining the ledger. Yeah. Are like the nodes. How many nodes are there in the world? Uh, you know I. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but enough for it to be decentralized and for not one person or entity to have the power. To have all, all of them, right? Um, and like something like a 51% attack where like someone would own half of, uh, uh, like over half of the entire network is something, um, it's a you know, technical challenge that uh, that is being worked on to like, you know, okay. uh, prevent this. Um, I won't go in too deep into yeah. that, but um, yeah, so essentially each of these nodes uh, are on the network, these computers um, are maintaining this ledger, and at the same time as an incentive to uh, maintain this ledger, um, they are also at the same time what we call mining for Bitcoin. Yeah. So what that looks like, uh, just to, to kind of simplify it, is it's like the the... Computers are trying to solve a really hard math problem, one that they'll have to like brute force in order to like actually solve this problem, right? Right. So they have to like guess like what what yeah. the answer to this problem is, um, uh, and but the one that and so the the difficulty of the problem uh, changes based on the number of nodes on the network, and it's set up in a way where one Bitcoin is mined every ten minutes. Okay. And currently, the value of the Bitcoin, just for reference, is about. $4,300, I yeah. think. Um, so once, you know, a, a node on the network mines a Bitcoin, um, that that then seals that block. So that's the sheet of paper that we're writing all these transactions on, that then becomes sealed and it becomes the next block in the block chain. So yeah. now it goes on to the next page. Uh, now okay. you're on the next page and you're writing the next transactions and they're trying to mine for the next block. Yeah. Right? So that's kind of the way that the um, incentive structures work. It's like the miners are mining for Bitcoin and trying to solve this problem. And once a new a Bitcoin is mined, that seals up the block and it, yeah. goes, to, it goes to the next page. Um, so for us, we get, uh, you know, as a, as a user of the network, we get, um, we, uh, we don't have to trust some centralized entity about like what happened, what transactions went through, what didn't, yeah. right? Like it's being maintained globally on... Um, uh, I want to say millions, but I, I, I don't want to misspeak, uh, nodes on the uh, Bitcoin network. Yeah, and so. that's, that's what makes people feel more sort of secure. And Yeah, I mean, it's, it's completely trustless, right? Yeah, you don't have yeah. to like, uh, in, like... So the implications of blockchain is that you're able to have decentralized organizations, um, uh, currencies, you know, you're able to have these things that can exist without you having to trust some yeah. government entity, some, you know, a Google or a Facebook with your data or, you know, whoever it is, you don't have to trust some centralized entity. Yeah. And, uh, the, we don't really know what the p larger impacts are going to be of this technology. I mean, that's still very much in the nascent stages. Yeah. Um, but, uh, it's, it will find its place. I think it, it seems yeah. to be, from my very, very limited knowledge, it seems to be finding its place. Um, Gareth, so like, 
Otto will look at that. His frame of reference is completely painted Bitcoin. Like it's you know he's in that world. He talks about it all, reads about it all the time. <laughs> yeah. From your perspective, mm -hmm. I mean, poor you, you have to listen to him talk about it all yeah. the time as well. <laughs> hey, he's he's invested some. He's, yeah. he's made yeah. some money. <laughs> from your perspective, sitting over in e-commerce, mm -hmm. can you see this wave coming at you from Bitcoin, or do you think, like realistically, do you see it being a while before it starts to play a major role, or what? Uh, as far as my business goes, I mean. Uh, uh, I'll accept Bitcoin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, w I mean, I don't right now, but because the, the the, the uh, platform that I'm on doesn't allow for me to easily do that. But yeah, yeah. If it, if people are paying with it, I'll accept. I'll, pay, I'll take it. Yeah, <laughs> I, it, it's not going to really affect my business that yeah. much. I don't think this used to be um, one of the biggest challenges. So I'm back in the Google days. I remember doing a presentation for a bunch of people on how uh, shopping has evolved and the role that digital and, and tech has played in that. Sure. And at the start of it, just sort of telling the story of the history of online shopping and that sort of thing, mm -hmm. security was a huge problem. Yeah. So um, someone, I can't even remember the, the example I used, but basically I, I was talking about how uh, it was either eBay or Amazon mm -hmm. had the goods but didn't have the security. And then someone like PayPal had the security but didn't have the goods. And when they finally married and, and met, it just facilitated online shopping. And right. so that, that security was no mm -hmm. longer That's good. Um, the major sort of challenge. What are the challenges these days for, for e-commerce? Because it's so predominant now. Yeah, it is. It is very predominant. I mean, it's, it's almost become, it's become very easy to start a website. Almost anybody can go online right now and with uh, very little technical skill and at least get something working online. Like the challenges are making, making it um, like the organizational website, the flow, like the shopping experience optimized. Like... It's no longer, oh yeah, that, that website has this thing. It's which website is, uh, that has that thing is the best uh, shopping experience. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's all about um, optimizing that, that for the customer and marketing it, getting it in front of people. Because the technology for, like, like you said, the security, that's, all, that's already built in. That's, you can take that that's not a competitive that. advantage anymore. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the, the only thing that you can have as a competitive advantage is, uh, well, if you have... A widget that nobody else sells. <laughs> yeah. If you have an operation that uh, is better than anybody else, so you can sell it cheaper. Yeah. Or if you have um, a cleaner website and you and people just enjoy shopping on your website more. Well, you gotta find your niche too, right? Right, right. Of course. And then <laughs> niche. And then, uh, Australians and Irish. These guys say niche instead of niche. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've noticed that the past couple of days. It's just niche. Yeah, niche. Yeah. yeah. Um, yes, absolutely. You have to find your your niche or your niche. <laughs> right, right. I mean, you can't be you can't target something that um, at least for e-commerce, it's well, everything you always hear. Yeah, you can't go after um, something that Amazon or like something that one of the big guys would target. Like, you can't go after too big of a market. If yeah. you're if you're just a small guy, you got to kind of like zoom into something that you can get really good at mm. that wouldn't they wouldn't want to come in and. Try to. <laughs> I want to. I want to. Um, I want to talk about Amazon as well, um, and like we we talked kind of briefly last night about how it's getting to the point where we're all just signed up to about three or four companies that almost give us everything, you know, and right. saying it's it, it's bordering on anti-competitive um, mm -hmm. with with Amazon being so big. What do you? So Amazon is in the papers these days, and it's been it's been booming the past couple of months with its. A few new products and then it's new shipping as well. Um, yeah. And it's what, what is it? Amazon. Um, there's same day delivery. There's Amazon Prime. There's right. all this stuff. Right now. How do you see? Um, uh, what uh, What does Amazon's ev evolution recently look like to you? 
Uh, as far, I mean, just generally speaking, or like in terms of my business, or, or, or where where do you see it going? How does it affect smaller businesses like yours yeah. in the space? Is it scary to have this monster growing and growing in the same <laughs> in the same playground as you? Yeah, yes, of course. Uh, it's 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 definitely something you, you you think about starting an e-commerce business, and a lot of the people that are doing um, e-commerce are, are also selling on Amazon. Um, what I what I think is. So for me, the reason that I don't sell on Amazon and the reason that I, like right now, don't see it is too much of a, a, a threat to my, to my business model is because um, one of the major f- advantages I have over my competitors and I, I, I um, you know, took a lot of time to build on my website was the organization. I sell uh, construction or replacement parts for construction equipment and each model is they're like depending on the serial number and the year that it was produced like there is so many different possible parts that it could be yeah and so it gets very confusing very quickly and um, I've put a great deal of effort into making the organization and the flow of the website very as easy as uh, to use as, as I as I could possibly think of and that I think is, is something that you don't have any control over when you go on Amazon yeah. so I have like 7,000 SKUs if I just dump those on Amazon um, that would they would just they would come up if people in search for those individual parts, but mm. but what I what I bring to the table on my side is being able to get from the information they have, like oh I've got uh, you know a case five eighty B you know this serial number and I need this part on it. I can I can go from there to the exact part number that they need. I can take them to that. So they yeah. they would go to Amazon if they know exactly what they want. But I think if I was a consumer. Um, I was selling consumer products, I would be a lot more frightened of Amazon. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the things that could be possibly threatening to my business in the future is their, like you were saying, their same day delivery and their, um, because if they can start delivering stuff in two hours on drones, then I would have to find a way to get, to, to get on board with that because that's just, that would be killer. That would be amazing. Yeah, it's pretty odd. It's just crazy. Um, speaking of the drones then, and, and it, it's not really, it's half related. Um, something that I think a lot of these guys are going to be hearing a lot about recently, maybe not understanding as well. Could you give us a good brief run through on drop shipping and how that works and what it means? Just yeah. to just to um, to the naked ear or to the simple mind like mine. <laughs> uh, drop shipping is uh, it's interesting. So yeah, I, I do a little bit of a mix between drop shipping and uh, shipping out of my own facility. Um, but so drop shipping definition of it is um, not even touching the product, right? So you are you get a, you get a relationship with the vendor, and then you sell that vendor's product to a, a customer, and you give the shipping information to the vendor. He sends it directly to your customer. So all you do is market and actually facilitate the, the transaction. You don't you're yeah. not in. It's not okay. So it sounds like you're in delivery, but you're actually in everything but delivery. You're in. Um, you're you're just a you channel just, through which they can market. Right, you're right. You're just not a sales channel. Right, you're just so you just create the sales channel. Like so, you you become you market it, and then you facilitate the t- transaction, and then arrange for the for the shipping and yeah. handle customer service. So if there's any returns, you you will have to step in. For yeah, that. sure, okay. But so there is a little bit of overhead as far as you know handling emails and things like that. But it's, but it's the thing with drop shipping is it be, it can become very price competitive very quickly. Yeah, because, sure. because if I, if you can create a website and go sell this this vendor's product, 
who's to say that the, the next guy can't can do yeah. the same exact thing? So it it's it's there's it's harder to build a um, it's harder to build a, a sustainably sustainable competitive. sustainably yeah. competitive business on that. Yeah. Yeah. But That's I I do it a little bit because the parts are the parts that I ship directly out of my business. Um, the same this the same people that would come there to shop for those would shop for the same ones that, that yeah. shop for the drop shipping products. So um, while my margins are considerably less on drop ship products, uh, I still I still it's still profitable. Yeah. Okay. And for people, you know, who are listening to your podcast who are uh, you know, kind of living that grad life, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> they uh, it's very, very easy for someone to start a drop shipping business within a few hours. Well, that's, that's, that's what I find fascinating. But surely you need, so it sounds like you just set up a website and get a relationship with a couple of vendors and off you go. Mm-hmm. But you need marketing budget, right? Like that you sure. kind of really, yeah. really need marketing that's, that's, budget. That's really, if, is in drop shipping, that's your main cost. Yeah, for sure. It sounds like it. But yeah. go on. So you think you can do it in a couple of hours? You yeah. can. And I mean, the degree to which you, you, you do it, um, like if you if you want to just get started really really quickly and just see how it is and, and try things out, which is kind of my uh, philosophy, um, yeah. is I mean literally you could start a Shopify site within an hour. Um, you can go on to uh, Alibaba or AliExpress, you know, find a, a Chinese um, vendor, send send them a message saying, hey, I want to drop ship your product. Uh, please don't put any, you know, promotions or inserts in, into the, the thing. They'll generally say okay. And um, you can use a, uh, an application called Oberlo. And it's a one-click setup from Shopify to AliExpress. And, um, That's amazing. Yeah, and literally within a few hours, you can have a, a fully functioning dropshipping yeah. business. Um, now... How effective that would be, particularly, I mean, Garrett brought up a very good point. Whenever you're dealing with, I mean, anybody uh, with a laptop can go and do exactly what I just said. Mm-hmm. And so now you're racing to the bottom either on price or you're going to have to, um, you know, there's ways of personalizing the product as well if you do certain MOQ, uh, minimum order quantities with the uh, um, vendors. You can, you know, put your logo or whatever on it and then it becomes more of a branding play. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of different directions you can take it, uh, but... I mean, if you, I recommend just getting started Give with something crack. really, yeah, really quickly. Yeah, I've heard of people doing it um, on the side. Question: Will uh, Amazon and Alibaba ever clash? Will hmm. they come head to head, or are they That's already something I'm not aware of? That's interesting. I, I had, they are. I haven't, uh, <laughs> I haven't really thought about that much, but I would imagine it's inevitable. Yeah. You know, I mean, they're 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 kind of in the same game. They're just. Uh, Alibaba is just for larger order quantities, I yeah. guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I would say there's a, there's a distinction. Um, first of all, China has a very protectionist policies, and they want um, the business being done in their country to come from Chinese companies. That's why you see WeChat, Tencent. Uh, you know, these Chinese companies are the, the biggest players. Now, I don't even know. Is Amazon even operating in China? I, I have no idea. I, I actually don't know. Don't know. I, I wouldn't actually, be surprised. Yeah, I wouldn't be, they don't. Yeah, so, um, you know, I think, uh, like, from that perspective, I think the Chinese market is solidly, you know, going to come from a Chinese company. Yeah. Now, outside of that, Alibaba has become the de facto B two B platform for doing, you know, business with with China. Mm. Um, and uh, as long as like that's still the case, I think Alibaba is going to be really, really big. I think yeah. AliExpress now that's their kind of consumer end uh, 
or B2C. Sales clash. Yeah, I think yeah. that there's going to be a little bit more clashing there, but Amazon has the speed down. That's the thing. Yeah. Like two-day delivery, like yeah. two-hour delivery. I mean, um, yeah, but I know that Amazon is also getting into the B2B space um, and has either launched or is launching a B2B platform. Yeah. So I do definitely see some um, some clash there. Yeah. It was interesting chatting last night. Um, I was venting my frustrations that Twitter isn't what it could be. <laughs> and it bothers me that Instagram is so big when it kind of rewards uh, shallow, like prowess in, in shallow areas, like, you know, to a large extent, not completely. Um, it, it rewards kind of visual stimulators as opposed to intellectual stimulators whose ideas can be freely shared on Twitter. And I wish Twitter was bigger. Then we talked about, uh, imagine if Twitter and Instagram got married and go on, you get to say the name. Oh, oh what? Twin Twinstagram. <laughs> Twin I thought it was great. Um, but it's funny to, to imagine if, if that stuff would have happened. What's your take on social media these days and, and the role of it and that it's playing? And like we talk about anti-competitiveness, you talk about the responsibility to share good quality news rather than good quality headlines. Mm-hmm. Um, all these different challenges it faces and, and, and the behavior rewards I think is a, a challenge for it as well like it's, it's I think that it kind of damages our world because it rewards uh, largely superficially it rewards it rewards superficial prowess as opposed to intellectual prowess or anything like that yeah that's that's a I haven't spent a whole lot of time thinking about that, but yeah, it's, that's something that I've, I've noticed too. It's, it seems like um, the, more, the more social media we have, the, the, the shallower these, these kind of things get. But yeah. I don't know if that's a... I mean, it, it sounds like a bad thing on the surface, but it, I mean, it seems like it's inevitable, Yeah. <laughs> unfortunately. But I don't, I don't know how you would go about it fixing that we don't need to do our own thinking anymore i think that's a part of it like it, you know those you two, outsource your thinking yeah yeah those two trends are aligned it seems yeah for better or worse <laughs> yeah you work a lot in in social media with your marketing sure yeah and i i mean my take on it is look a, a platform is a platform right like it's a it's a certain medium that can be used in a variety of different ways and there's a lot of noise out there sure and um you know, you kind of really have to differentiate yourself in order to stand out on any of these platforms simply because they're so saturated. Yeah. Um, and I definitely uh, get that there is a, um, there's an impact that, that you know, looking at, um, for example, Instagram, whenever you're scrolling through your Instagram feed, it's generally a highlight reel of, of people's lives, people, you know, living their best lives. Right, right. You just get the highlights and like what, like something to be aware of is the impact that that may have on your own ideals of what life looks like. Yeah. Right. Um, and at the same time, I don't think it's inherently bad. Like I don't think the, the platform is inherently bad. There are just impacts to be responsible for and like to notice, yeah. you know, um, I, like I think on a social level, you're you're, I think it, it is kind of cheapening the the social fabric in a way, and I don't, kind of like what Garrett was saying, right? Like I think that that level of connectivity is inevitable, like it's inevitable, and I think that there's a way of being with it that you don't get pulled in by it in that mm. way. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I like your idea of uh, or the I guess the quote that it cheapens the 
social fabric. Um, I see it. I don't. I don't see the platforms as a problem. I see them as being very conducive to, you know, open communication, keeping up with friends overseas, etc. Um, but I do think that it's so the the platforms aren't the problem, but they are a platform on from which societal problems are amplified and, and expressed. Oh, yeah, you know sure. what I mean? So I mean, sure. we are becoming more shallow. And Instagram is the perfect way to express that shallowness. And, and if you if you want to find shallowness, go on Instagram, etc. And then it just kind of it it feeds in again, and and it becomes more of a, a vicious cycle, I guess. Of or it can uh, it, it can, can right can, like can. you know if you're following you know Gary V and all these you know inspirational guys and stuff, and you're going through, and it's like your um, your feed. I mean, you you choose what you follow, right? Yeah. I mean, you can. It, yeah, you I think shape it, your world. You yeah. shape your world, yeah, right? Yeah. And like you uh, are responsible for what you're seeing too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah no, that's true. <laughs> that's true. As a marketer, modern marketer, how do you get in amongst all that noise? Like, there's so much noise and and headlines or like hot girls that you see, and people want to look at that rather than whatever it is that you're offering or selling. How do you get in and compete amongst that? That's a great question, and you know when you're what what you're actually trying to do whenever you're trying uh, trying to market to someone is they're flipping through their their news feed like just flicking flicking their finger and z- zipping by you want to have them put their finger down on the screen and stop on whatever it is that you are yes. showing so like whatever um it, it ought to evoke some form of emotion or provide some kind of value or stop or shock them yeah. in such a way that they would actually stop and engage and see your your uh your ad i mean for websites you have about three seconds before someone just clicks off of your website yeah. if, you know if they like it or not with social media i feel like it's even more difficult just because they're just they're flicking you they have, half, they have half a second yeah. to, you know um so yeah i mean i think like being able to go left when everyone else is going right is really the yeah the operative thing and doing creative um creative uses of the platform that people don't generally use. Um, I don't know. I, I, I really like a lot of the stuff that uh, Gary Vaynerchuk. Yeah. Are you familiar with him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I really like the stuff that he does. He really kind of shocks you. Or, or, you he know, is shocking, like, for sure. Yeah, yeah. He's definitely shocking. There's other guys like, do you know who I think the best marketer in the world is? Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. Ah, uh, he's, like, he's, he's genius. Just, he's, he's genius, just, he, man. He barely acts, but he's just a marketer. <laughs> yeah. And, and you notice, so... <laughs> He and um, Kevin Hart, the comedian, did a couple of movies together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Excuse me. And um, you can see now that Kevin Hart is now doing the exact same thing. So it's very clear that they probably had a session where mm. Kevin said, how did you go from... Um, because, you know, one started in wrestling, one started in comedy, outside the acting scene, <coughs> and then they grew to the top. Kevin Hart's flying at the moment as well. No coincidence, because DJ definitely shared... Um, marketing tips and that sort of thing and you can see I follow them both on Instagram you can see that Kevin's content is just pump 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 and he does like five pictures in a row every five hours or something like it's just crazy amount of content um, which I don't like like it, it's frustrating because it feeds back into that world of, uh, of noise and everything as well um, I was telling you guys last night about kind of like my passion for like storytelling and movies and books and all that sort of thing what I find recently is that, so you're saying that in order to be an effective marketer and get the attention of the modern consumer, modern person really, um, 
you need to add shock value. I find that we are exposed to so much shock value, like as in it's uh, the boundary keeps being pushed up, right? So what used to be shocking 20 years ago is now standard and um, it just keeps going up and up and up and we, it takes more to shock us. And I find that creeping into storytelling, I'll be interested to hear your take on this, with cinema, movies, I think that movie makers now are noticing that, because they're going to have all their consumer data, they're noticing that in order to sell a movie, you need to provide shock value and uh, a scene that's just, holy crap, how do they do that? And CGI would often um, you know, create these scenes for them without too much budget. And the quality of storyline is becoming worse and cheaper because uh, I was talking about it with a couple of friends a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about those great movies like A Few Good Men and really intricate stories that were kind of like for, you needed to be intelligent to figure them out and follow them. They don't really exist anymore. It's just like big picture and shock and drama. And I, I just find that it, this place of shock in our marketing system and in our general mm. ecosystem mm-hmm. is now having a knock-on effect and cheapening other mm. things that it touches. Yeah, and I, I want to... <coughs> um, so I think shock is like one aspect of it. I guess I want to um, reframe it more along the terms that uh, you know, a, a, a mutual... Uh, um, a person who inspires us, Seth Godin, talks yes. about in Purple Cow, right? Yeah. It's like the, this idea of a purple cow being that, uh, you know, if you're going, driving down the road and, you know, you see a bunch of cows, you don't think anything of it, but if you see a purple cow, you're going to say, oh my God, I saw a purple cow. And you're going to stop, you're going to look, and then you're going to tell everyone else that you know about it. Yeah. And the idea of the purple cow is that it's remarkable, right? It's yeah. like something you remark about and worthy share with other people. Worthy, worthy of remark. And um, I think like that's really kind of when it comes to breaking through the noise and like, you know, I think shock is one way to do that and there's a way to do it well and there's a way to cheapen, the, yes. you know, like, um, but uh, I, think it, I think remarkable is probably the, the, a better, yeah. more and more astute term. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a better term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you see this come into the world of the the world that you're operating in as well? Ah, uh, well, I think that uh, as far as, as as far as what you're saying, building something remarkable, you you have to do that to build a business. Yeah. If there's if there's not something like the, a value that you're adding that nobody else is, or you're doing it in a in a distinctive way. Like, you don't have a business unless there's something difficult that you're solving. Yeah. Right. So, um, that's always going to be the, the issue is like, what that it's, what do you need to do that is remarkable? Mm. You, you can try, you can try, a, you know, any number of things, try to, try to, uh, I guess, solve an issue in any number of ways of your, of your business and, or in the industry. But, but that's the, that's the thing you gotta, you gotta solve it and then tell your story about how you, how you are doing it differently, yeah. and um, and that's the marketing side, I guess, is is telling that story very uniquely and creating a, a something remarkable about it that, that people yeah. share. You run a whole business. What's your favorite part of it? Just hearing you there talk about the marketing <laughs> side and like what what's your there's so many different elements. What that's you... that's a good question. Uh, <laughs> I haven't been asked that before actually. Um, like I don't know if four other people came in and said we're we're taking four jobs. Which job do you want? Hmm. Head of marketing, um, head of supply chain. You were saying, didn't I? <laughs> supply chain. Yeah, that's that's a really good question. Um, I don't think that my uh, I find the marketing part of it interesting, but I don't think that my background and my skill set are, are <clears throat> terribly great at that. So 
probably not that. Um, as far as website design, I think I've done a pretty good job, but I, I could probably hire somebody to be a lot better. And I think operational yeah, operations, okay. yeah, because that's what my <laughs> background is. From, you know, industrial engineering. It's all about uh, optimizing production lines and, and and inventory management and all that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's probably the thing that I find most interesting. That and right now I'm really interested in moving everything. <clears throat> Going international, yeah. Okay. So, like the the challenges involved with that are kind of exciting yeah. to me. Yeah. You're a total ops guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that that whole logistical thing. Like, kind of, if I can if I can do it and find a way that you know reduces the time spent on a certain process by twenty percent or something. Yeah, that's just really cool to me. Yeah. <laughs> no, but yeah. I I'd be like that. I love that as well. Like, yeah. I love that intellectual challenge as opposed to. Uh, um, I, I don't know, maybe, uh, um, again, the face value challenge, I prefer the intellectual stuff, maybe behind. Right, and that, I think that's probably just because I'm, I'm much more of a, like a, a numbers guy, like a hard, a hard yeah. like, math guy than, than a t- terribly creative or, or, um, or you know, <clears throat> artistic person, so yeah. that's probably more my, my speed. Have, um, have either of your experiences taught either of you about intelligence? Like, what's your take on intelligence? So, and I'll, I'll, I'll elaborate a little bit. A lot of the people listening here are going to think, my grades aren't good, I'm not intelligent. Or, um, I'm in a, an investment bank, I must be intelligent. Uh, he's in marketing, so he's not as intelligent as me, because I do the numbers. Um, a movie maker, or someone in a creative job, might think they're very intelligent or not intelligent at all based on, on, you know, how kind of society deems intelligence. Have you guys learned anything about your own intelligence or, or about, would, have you learned to look at the word intelligence differently at all? This is like purely my thing. Like I, yeah. I find it interesting because in my, here's my answer. Mm-hmm. I think there are many different types of intelligences and I think everyone is intelligent in some way. Sure. Um, it's just hard for a lot of people to find that way. So someone who's a creative genius and is working in an investment bank, they're working on spreadsheet, is probably going to think they're not intelligent at all because they're not being given a, an opportunity to exercise their intelligence, the intelli- their inherent intelligence that they actually do have. Yeah, um, that's, that's a good point. I, th- I think... Intelligence or strengths? Like, I, I mean, yeah. Is there a distinction here? Like, not much of a distinction, no. Okay. I just, like, uh, into, like the in- intellectual excellence, like the, ex- the excelling of some sort of an intellectual power. You know, I think as far as strengths or intelligence goes, it's like you said. There's, there's probably, I don't know. I wouldn't even guess how many different different kinds you could have. Probably dozens. Yeah. But um, I think that that having there's 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 a lot of emphasis on being really well rounded, in I think a modern society. But I think that um, while that's good, I think spending an exorbitant amount of time. Uh, honing skills that you're never going to be great at is um, is much less valuable than spending the extra time honing skills that you're exceptional at. And just mastering, mastering, mastering. Right. Yeah. I think it's much more. It's like find what you're good at and um, triple down. And triple down on it. Yeah. yeah, that's an interesting take. So I did the exact opposite <laughs> um, out of university. Like I, I, I've, I would say, c- communication would be a big strength of mine. And I thought, okay, thinking long term here. I'm going to have the communication inherently say when I'm 30, but if I can go and nail down the numbers stuff and, and um, a lot of the more technical skills that I would learn in a bank, 
then when I couple that with my communication when I'm 30, I'll be an all-rounder. Mm-hmm. And in hindsight, I think I've, I, I've come to much more agree with you. Just completely master, master, master what you have inherently already got as a foundation. And I think you're going to excel much more because someone else who has the numbers inherently mm-hmm. will do that to the numbers and they'll, become, they'll go further in numbers than you ever will but then you'll go further in communication or whatever your version of communication is. Yes, and I, I definitely see value in cross-pollination, right? If you can like intersect multiple things that you're good at, then there's actually, uh, I think that you're able to really just differentiate yourself in a different way rather. Than, I mean, there's dozens of, oh, dozens, <laughs> there's millions of great uh, communicators, right? Yeah. And like, there's probably not that many great finance communicators, the numbers a lot less. Um, and so I, I mean, I, like I would say find multiple things you're good at and and triple down. And you know, if, if finance is something that you're super interested in, but you're not great at it, but you're excited and you want to learn about it and you couple that with your communication skills that you're inherently good at, then I I just think that you're a lot hotter of a commodity. Yeah. It's funny actually you say that because um, I don't know, about a year into my role in Google, I was talking to a manager who was my, he was my ex-manager there. Um, his name is Scott. He's, a, <laughs> he's been brought up on this podcast like 10 times. Um, <laughs> legend guy. Uh, a New York guy. Or a Detroit guy living in New York. And he said, easy. I was like, I was freaking out. I was like, God, Scott, I don't know what to do. Like, yada, yada, yada. This is what I'm interested in. X, Y, Z. He said, okay, calm down. Piece of paper, pen. Draw a circle. And write in, write in it your favorite thing. And I was like, okay, like, uh, say communication or, or uh, obesity problem or whatever it is. And he said, okay, draw another circle. And your second favorite thing and your third favorite thing. And it becomes a Venn diagram. And whatever lies in the gap. So a Venn diagram, guys, where the circles overlap. Wherever those three circles overlap, that's your niche, we'll say. Your niche or your niche. Because everyone's going to have one of those three things. But very, very few people are going to have all three the same way you do. And if you zoom in on that niche in between those three circles, that's where you're going to get the most out of yourself. It's interesting. Uh, and to even add, to add on to that, um, I think uh, um, a really useful exercise for me that I had done um, in, the, in the similar vein was to look at, well, what are the things uh, that I love? Is, you know, one circle in the Venn diagram, another one is what are the things um, that uh, I'm good at? That's another circle. Um, and then another one is, uh, uh, and like, what is, like, what is it that the world really needs? You know, like what, like what, like what's my contribution going to be? Like, what are the things I want to impact? Right. Um, and, uh, if you kind of look at things from like things that you love, the things that you're good at and the things that like are actually needed in the world, you can really find your impact. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm a a huge believer in that. It's funny, we were talking about that uh, the other night. I, I was saying, like, happiness is hustle and hustle hustle contribution. contribution man. Yeah. That's beautiful. <laughs> I love that. I love yeah. that. That's, yeah, I like that. That's, that's concise. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a big fan. Like I was telling you guys, I've only been here in Buenos Aires two weeks, and I'm already getting restless because I haven't been, like, working or exercising or anything. And mm. it's, it's the doing of those things that, like, that gives me kicks and kind of gets me going. And, and um, that hustle is a huge thing. And then if you can hustle in a way that contributes then to, to the wider group, that's, um, I mean, that's the way to roll. But for you guys, like that's me. What about you guys? So you're doing a unique thing here. You're, you know, you up sticks and move down to South America. What's <laughs> yeah. the motive? 
What what drives you guys? That's a very good question. And I, uh, other than just wanting to experience something different than than, so I've lived in one city or one town my entire life up yeah. until a little month ago. College Station, Texas. <laughs> Shout out. <laughs> uh, so lads, the guys are from the same town. They've known each other since they were twelve. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we. Uh, um, yeah, I've, I've lived in the same place for 26 years. Yeah. And uh, up until a month ago, and decided to make a very dra- drastic change, move 5,000 miles away. Uh, but one of the biggest motivations for me was just if it was, it was kind of like, well, I've, I've got this far, like I, I have the opportunity. Uh, this is the probably the best time of my life. I don't have any serious commitments. Like I'm not, I'm not. Uh, married, I don't have a house or anything. Uh, I've somehow freed up the, myself from my business somehow to uh, be able to travel. Like this is the time to do it. Yeah. And uh, it's been an amazing experience so far. I have there's there's less reasons to do it than there are reasons not to. Yeah. So, what was your or more reasons to do it? More reasons to do it than not to? No. Um. So. I think that I think that experiencing. Um, other cultures is, is then you're the one that you were raised in is extremely interesting as far as um, personal development and you know for your for your career and your business you you see that things that are done everybody does exactly the same way where you're from uh, just little things that you wouldn't even notice if when you go to another culture it's everything's not everything but a lot of things are very different things that you would take for granted like um, for example, the way that they handle trash here. Like, it's different than the way that they handle trash in, in the U.S. And it's it's interesting just to see, because you have this kind of, like, mental framework or framework about, like, how the world works around yeah. you. And whenever that changes, you realize that not everything is so set in stone. And uh, it's a it's an, it's an a cool experience, mm-hmm. definitely. To, Expanding. To, to, yeah, yeah. To, yeah, expand your... Um, perception of how things work i'm a massive believer in moving abroad obviously because i did it straight away um but i'm a huge believer in going getting out of your comfort zone and and everything you just said and i'd add to it by saying i really think it's conducive to innovation because you see contrast in how things are done and within the gaps you maybe see an opportunity or um some some place for innovation in there just gets you kind of thinking differently right and, and um, like, like the, the word you brought up earlier cross-pollinating if you can if you look at the way they're done in a, many different places you say oh maybe this one's the best and, yeah or a combination of a couple of these these ways of doing things are the best if we what if we could do this yeah and for you what's been the, the what was the scariest part of it and what was the what's been the hardest part of it uh, the scariest part was just moving so damn far away from my business like the thing that's <laughs> keeping yeah. me keep funding this whole thing I was just I mean everything you everything inside of me said that that's <laughs> this is a bad idea but like <laughs> I just went over every single part of it and I was like well logically this should work yeah. but there was still that like visceral like, fear <laughs> yeah. that, that something could go terribly wrong and I would be stranded out here with no money, you know, my business is tanking, my bank account's draining, and that's the, that was the scariest part. Yeah. But that has yet to play out. <laughs> so, <laughs> Touch um, wood. Touch wood. Yeah. <laughs> and what, what's been the hardest part so far? The hardest part of the, uh, the trip? Yeah. Uh, learning the language. I didn't come well prepared. That, yeah. But, <laughs> but uh, uh, it's finally starting to 
get some progress, but yeah, it's uh, it can be frustrating not <laughs> not being able to communicate with the people around. For you. sure, now we'll talk about that. But what what about you? What was your motive for like what what's your motive in general? Yeah, um, and what was the motive for coming down here? Sure, sure. Um, well, I would I would kind of want to back up a bit. I would say uh, there, I had kind of a. Uh, pivotal moment in my life a couple of years ago when I did a, uh, a program that I recommend to, you know, your, uh, uh, listeners as well called, uh, the landmark forum. And, uh, it's been, there's 125 locations all over the world in Australia, Ireland, everywhere. And, um, it was a three day course that really kind of has you see the, um, <laughs> kind of how you see, um, you see how your identity was constructed over, over the course of your life and yeah. really get to see like the blind spots that um, are keeping you from accomplishing the things that you truly want to uh, yeah. accomplish in the world and get clear on what it is you're actually committed to. And I came out of that program um, with a really clear understanding that my life I'm going to create as one of adventure. And at the time, you know, I, I didn't have a location independent set up. I was... Um, uh, working in a, uh, in a different capacity and like I was trying to, um, it, it, was, it was quite a transition over the last two years to go from that to being able to, um, do this with you know, one of my best friends. Mm. And, um, you know, uh, the, the motive I would say that really drives me, um, is like my biggest fear is to having uh, to die without having lived, Yeah, you know, just really like, I just don't want to be the guy regretting anything on his deathbed. Yeah. And uh, I think that too often we kind of just fall within the social stream of the way that things are and the way that things go. And um, I really wanted to disrupt that and uh, live a life um, that having worth lived. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, Henry David Thoreau had a very good quote. Most men go to the grave with their songs still in them. Um, and yeah, for me, that's a huge one and I'm really trying to avoid that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, what were you scared of coming down? Um, scared of before I came here? Yeah. Oh. Or like, you know, about what about this adventure scared you? Was it, oh God, I'm blowing it at 25 and I'm, I'm you know, no. checking out too early or anything like that? I don't know if... No, I wasn't really, I was excited, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't really say scared, I mean, kind of, I I felt confident enough to be able to do what I needed to do from my laptop and, you know, have have Wi-Fi, I would say the scariest thing that has happened is getting my phone robbed, (laughs) you know, here in in Buenos Aires, but um, other than that, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't really say, this this is just, it's been a blast. Was that like a stick-up robbery? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With a gun? Yeah, no, a knife. A knife? Yeah, yeah. Jeez, I didn't even know that. What yeah, that? yeah, yeah. No, I was in a in a, a public park and uh, unfortunately uh, got my iPhone 7 stolen. But, you know, at, at the end of the day, man, it's I'm uh, I'm just grateful to be safe. And, like, now I walk around very, like, vigilant yeah. and, you know, I'm, uh, it's, it's, it's a blessing. Uh, you know, it's a blessing in disguise. Yeah, it's been interesting for me. It's been, to be honest, like, the first place I've come where securities are real... Uh, threat. Like I, I remember one night in, in Bali, I had I was walking out of a nightclub and I felt a guy's hand in my pocket on my phone, and like I, 
luckily he caught him and I was like what the fuck are you doing like get out of here he was tiny so it wasn't really a problem but it was like it was just weird <laughs> yeah. um, being confronted by that sure. you hear I, I remember before I came here I was in a room full of Argentinians in, in Sydney and everyone in the room had been held up at gunpoint in their life wow. and they'd all come from Buenos Aires a lot of them from really nice backgrounds here so yeah the, the it security, it's interesting having um, security be uh, it's, not, it's not something I, I take for granted anymore you know yes, like I would exactly. say that uh, that has been kind of now really present for me yeah. is that like wow safety and security are things that I've completely taken for granted right. in the US for you know? sure and the political stability as well I went to that rally last week um, on the weekend and 10, 15,000 really angry people, really unsettled wow. with how their country's being run, was something I'd never been confronted wow. with either before. And that was a, I mean, the f- one thing I'm learning down here is the true meaning of that saying that travel is the best education. Because you really get met face to face, not in text in a book or mm-hmm. audially in a podcast, but face to face with the issues that you know are written about as part of history and that are. Um, like almost primal issues for, for millions of people out there. It's, it's a huge thing. And what about the language for you? That's a challenge too. That's been a challenge. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, the first couple of weeks we got here, we were like, oh yeah, we're just going to learn by immersion. And um, <laughs> that didn't work out. So we, so we signed up for Spanish classes, which is where we met you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that, I mean, our language acquisition has, uh, you know, it increased exponentially over the last couple of weeks. You know, it's like, I really see those classes as kind of the huddle before the game, right? Yeah. You know, we go, okay, we learn direct objects and past tense and then uh, go right out into the world and talk to our Uber drivers about yeah. it. You know? <laughs> yeah, the, the, the high stakes game is when you're talking to the local girls in the, yeah. in the bar. <laughs> Jeez, the pressure, it's incredible. Um, yeah, like language learning, I think, is a, is a fascinating challenge. And I, I was saying to you the other night that it's probably the one of like my Spanish is, is, is good and I'm, I'm, I'm happy with it. It's not perfect. Um, but it's one of the things I'm most proud of because every time I have a conversation with someone, I remember not being able, the frustration of not being able to understand them or communicate and be myself or even like crack a joke or ask for what I want or, you know, under, get, get out of them what I know the other person has to offer, whether they're cracking a joke or saying something wise or whatever it is and just not fully getting it it's so frustrating mm-hmm. yeah and um to to feel yourself moving past that is, is definitely a, a rewarding rewarding thing. experience yeah i think language learning is a very very worthwhile um experience and challenge to take on i definitely agree i think uh i i, I definitely agree with that I, I i think the not being able to communicate with people is just so frustrating yeah and it's like my spanish is still not very good but it's been it's been really interesting learning uh, a different language than the one that you speak every day so because it, the, the word structures and the sentence structures give you kind of an insight into how people think and yeah. you, you actually think differently in different languages. Yeah, I totally get that. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm a phonetics nerd, so I, will, I love reading Spanish and saying, oh, that's where that word comes from and yeah. like really getting into the Latin stems mm. and everything. Like, <laughs> I'm a complete nerd out on that stuff. It's brilliant. Um, but I, you were saying the other night that you um, you had the this language goal, and it was actually for German more so than Spanish. Yeah, right? yeah that's it. Um, I want to be right. here in a year, and I was telling you that like when I um, set those goals, say if I like with my spreadsheet, my goal spreadsheet, if I I'd never have my annual goal, my goal for the year written on that. It's literally it's not on there. It's just monthly goals, 
and then by the time November comes around, that goal for the year, that big one, is only another monthly, an incremental monthly effort away. Mm-hmm. And I think having those little incremental goals rather than big ones can really, really help someone just get uh, rung by rung up the ladder, whatever ladder it is that they that they're looking to climb. Yeah, I'm definitely a fan of uh, short-term goals as far as, you know, when I was starting my business, I, I just, I did it on almost a weekly basis, just resetting goals at the end of the week. Oh, and, did you and, do that? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I would have the goals for like revenue for the month, but also more on a weekly basis as far as like features that I want to build, build out, yeah. you know, products that I wanted to add, things that I needed to get accomplished. I would do that on a, on, on a weekly basis and then have revenue goals to like every, every month that, that, you know, I would need to accomplish those weekly goals to hit. Yeah. And, and I think that that's really important. I don't think that setting goals any farther than three to six months, I mean, maybe you should have really vague goals for a Very year, vague, yes. but it's, it's really, I think it's almost limiting to, to, to put really specific goals, like it, even six months. You don't know, I don't know what's going to happen yeah. in six months. I don't yeah. know where I'm going to be. Yeah. Yeah. James Altucher uh, is a um, famous blogger and uh, ex-hedge fund guy. Um, he talks about creating themes rather than goals. Yeah, okay. Um, and uh, I think of that, that kind of allows it to be a little bit more <laughs> vague, but it's something you live into and you like take actions in accordance with. Yeah. Um, Do you have any goal setting uh, habits or anything like that or routines? Um, not routines. Uh, actually, like I was looking at my uh, journal from um, I was journaling on the flight over to Buenos Aires and like my, my list of goals, my number one goal for this trip is make it back alive. <laughs> so <laughs> as long as long as I have a pulse, I'm uh, I'm accomplishing my my biggest goals. So. Yeah. <laughs> what about like um, financial goals? So while you're here, is it more a lifestyle thing or is it is it still aiming for um, you know lofty financial goals? Uh, I mean, I have financial goals as well, but I mean, for the most part, I uh, um, I I don't focus too much on. Uh, I'm like hitting certain numbers. It's more yeah. about like, you know, if I do ten different projects, one of them is gonna make me. You know, ten, yeah. or, you know, one or two will make make me money. I, I don't really you know, yeah. too concerned about that. I just have to do the projects. Well, I think people are interested to know what money means to guys like you who are taking risks at a young age, because mm. um, that could either tell them it doesn't matter to me. I'm in this for the lifestyle, or it could tell them. I'm, I want to get stinking rich and no job is going to pay me that much, you know? Like, so what does money mean to you guys? <sighs> money is a tool. Yeah. Uh, it's just, uh, it's just as good as the stuff you can uh, trade it for. But yeah. I, I don't, I don't see it as something to like collect or, um, you know, I, I, like I was saying last night, I don't really have any desire or need to be extremely rich. It'd be nice. Sure. But it's not really my, Really, my uh, my number one goal. It's if you can't, I mean, you can't take it with you when you die. Yeah. <laughs> but as as far as like what money is, I mean, that's a really it's really hard to like put into words. You know what exactly it is. It's just you, it's what you would use to to get things done. I don't. I think what what's more important is what you use it on. Yeah. Um. And to, it's really easy to get caught up um, just growing that number in your bank account, but it's not its not the goal. Yeah, for sure. At least for me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, Otto. You may have a different... Yeah, I, uh, 
Well, I mean, I think from there's a lot of different ways to look at the question, right? You can look at it from an economical perspective. You can look at it from a uh, psychological perspective. I mean, personally. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, I look at it more from like an ontological perspective. I like to, yeah, like kind of looking at how we relate to money as human beings, right? Okay. What's ontology? um, Ontology is the study of being. Right. Like the being in human being. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, And uh, so, you know, like I think that there's a trap whenever you're like, you know, money is X. Like there's an inherent trap in that conversation simply because money is money. Money, I mean, it's um, like if I was to ask 10 different people, what is money to you? You know, Garrett says money is a tool. You say uh, what? I said it's a a trap, something I'm 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 afraid of sort of. Okay, yeah, something to be feared, right? Someone else says uh, money is freedom. Someone else says uh, money is stress. You know, what... Like there's what, how you relate to money will be what money is to you. Yeah. Right. Money itself doesn't change. Money is, you know, it's always the same. It's always the same. Yeah. It's the way that you relate to money that dictates what it actually is to you. Yeah. Do you think the wave of young people these days and young entrepreneurs, et cetera, are relating to money differently to how they used to? We can't really speak on behalf of the others, but it seems to be people are waking up, waking up to the fact that there are intrinsic rewards that can be a lot more rewarding than the extrinsic number one chief of which is is probably money. Yeah, I would like to think so. I I would like to think that people are becoming more aware of that. I mean... um, I think more aren't than are, though. I think it's, yeah, there's still the... I think it's still the the exception to the rule. There's there's still a lot of... There's still a lot of materialism. I would... I'd, I'd, I'd dare to say this that the very best people aren't because they the, the smartest or the most ambitious figure that have figured out that um, they're, they're smart enough to figure out that one that there are rewards that are greater and, and more rewarding than money and they're ambitious enough to figure out that there are things that are much more worth um, wanting to achieve and striving to achieve and harder to achieve than financial wealth and security and that um, the ambition in them is driven to achieve bigger things than just financial wealth. And then the layer below that, who aren't as smart, aren't as talented, are probably more likely to be financially driven because they haven't figured out, they can't figure out that it isn't the be-all and end-all. And they aren't ambitious or maybe talented enough to achieve for the bigger things like an, an impactful project or whatever it is, you know? What would you disagree if you disagree? I think it's just very easy... I mean, I find, my, find myself caught up in it sometimes, but I think it's very easy to to get caught up in like a, a competitive nature as far as money goes, like making more than your neighbor and and driving a better car, and it's really really seductive to, to that like being having the nicer things and uh, flashing it. It's just very very. Um, it's, I think it takes discipline and, and like yeah. constant work, like. Like uh, showering every day, it takes constant work to like train yourself not to concern your concern yourself with it. Yeah, I'd agree fully. I can really. That's why I like when I talk about me being kind of uh, scared of it. It's because I've seen so many people. That it, I've I've seen it become a part of their personality, which was kind of step one in the, in the downfall. Mm. And then I've just seen it really, really screw screw with a lot of elements of their lives because it was such a distraction to 
a distraction from what was really important that uh, it, it, it screwed them and it led to um, it can lead to like familial issues or, or you know personal issues and all that sort of stuff like poor relationship with yourself etc um, and like I, yeah I see that as always being a always being a challenge if if one achieves wealth to keep their relationship with that wealth really really in check mm-hmm. um, and make sure it never become it never creeps in and it can happen probably in a week it could happen yeah um, and it can just it can really throw you throw you down so that's why I'm very very like uh, I don't know yeah wary of, of the effect that it could have if, if it comes along sure and um, to add to that I would say that it's um, you know there's a difference between you uh, kind of being at the effect of money, right? Like I think it it doesn't matter what your degree of wealth is. If you're at the effect of money, then you're going to be driven by it and money's going to be the one running the show. What do you mean by at the effect of at it? At the effect of it, right? So like if you are uh, you know, extremely rich and you are constantly trying to like make more money and you know con- continue the rat race of, of accumulating of 10 million 100 million billion um and you're driven by just it, it's never enough right yeah. there's no fulfillment in, in any of that you're at the effect of your money yeah and if you're a really poor guy um who is you know it's some, someone who is completely okay with their level of, of wealth or, um, you know, they want more money, but it's not, they don't, they don't derive their happiness and their satisfaction from it. They're not at the effect of the money. Yeah. And you can see it on, on both ends of the scale. I mean, you have rich people who are, you know, Warren Buffett. I mean, look at this guy, man. He's not, not at the effect of his money yeah. at all. Right. Yeah. This guy lives his life, how he lives his life. And, you know, even like the, the Google founders, right. I mean, they're living a high flying life, but I, from what I can ascertain, it does seems like they're not at the effect of their money. Yeah. Right. So I, I think. Yeah, yeah, I like that theory. I, I see it. I agree with it. I think the most, one of the tools that I, I think, I find most most helpful is becoming, <clears throat> becoming financially literate. Like as far as personal personal finance, if you can, have a, a, a really deep understanding of your. And maintain a healthy financial position. You ha- you'll have a much better relationship with money. Yeah. If you just, I mean, this is like age old advice, but just live live below below your means. You know, just a little bit. I know that sounds like, yeah, of course, but a lot of people don't. Yeah, I, I, increasingly. I mean, for me. I I this sounds kind of crazy, but I find the idea of credit cards to be kind of bizarre, and. I find the idea of needing a credit rating to buy a house to be bizarre. And I, so I see it. I understand why. But it says to me, and my initial reaction was, so wait, you won't lend to me because I don't have a credit rating, i.e. you won't lend to me because I haven't lived beyond my means yet. Like, it, you know, if you're, if you're using a credit card, not always, but the chances are, there are chances that um, you're doing it because you don't have enough on your debit card. Um, so you want to spend more money than you have. And now the banks have adopted to that consumer behavior and say they only lend to people who are willing to spend beyond their means. That's not what they're doing, but that's one angle from which I see it, you know? Yeah. Um, I find that kind of strange as well. Uh, but if, 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 you are, uh, if you are discippointed with it, you can use credit cards 
Yes, responsibly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah buy a lot of free, free flights with it and stuff. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. pay, paid off it. Yeah, yeah. but you're right. Systematically, there's kind of a, a you know, there's something up. There. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Um, and so what I did was I got a credit card, uh, set up accounts with it like Uber. I'm, I'm pretty sure now it's actually just Uber, and then chopped up the credit card. So I never, <laughs> never, never use it. Because I'm wary of what sure. it's like to, you know, people get carried away and say, yeah, I can spend up to this amount. Sure. And you know, it, it can be damaging. And I've seen it be damaging for people. I've worked with people who are just hummed along at 7K debt. Yeah. They're just hummed along at, seven, like, at the age of 23, 24. Like it was nuts. Um, more debt than saving. Like, it was, I found it very, very strange. Um, and, and that woke me up to the dangers of, of credit cards and, and credit and living beyond your means and that sort of thing as well. Yeah, that's something for, I think, people that are just graduating. That's becoming an, a, a, a much bigger problem, especially in the United States with the student loans. Yeah. Like the average uh, graduate out of a university, four-year university in the United States has something like twenty-five or $30,000 in, really? in debt just right out of the gate. That's, yeah. that's got to, that, you got to dig yourself out of a huge hole first thing. And, yeah. And uh, they're usually like six percent or something like that so it's it's quite a bit yeah you know, paid down so if you can avoid that that's great but that's it's it, it would be a much more difficult position for, for me to be in starting a business have if i hadn't yeah like for that. sure for sure yeah it's a strange thing the relationship with money i wonder and you know you're in in, in cryptocurrency now i wonder where that's all gonna kind of tie in as well you're both i guess it's hard to be in a, in a commercial role and not be one step away from the the individual's relationship with money, but with crypto, people are becoming less trusting of normal money, and that's why probably why crypto exists. And then with e-commerce, people who are irresponsible with money tend to be irresponsible <laughs> through e-commerce. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. To wrap up, where do you see each of your industries being in in say five ten years so like it's probably you know this is your day-to-day job to think about crypto in this manner probably or or similar to it um where's crypto going to be like you know we're talking about it finding its place sure yeah if you were to bet now what will that place be very very difficult question um (laughs) and it's constantly a game of predicting and also like being present to the conditions of the uh of the crypto space at any given time. Um, and I, I see that um, we're seeing more and more governments failing all around the world, right? I mean, the value of a lot of fiat currencies are like plummeting. Yeah. And uh, in places like Venezuela, for example, Bitcoin is becoming rapidly more used as really? a, yeah, as a, as a, um, as a currency because it's actually like a store of value that people are trusting that yeah. it's going to um, be far more, um, uh, stable or I- increase in value um, than their uh, national fiat currency. Yeah. And so um, I, I definitely see that um, we're going to be seeing a rebuilding of some of these failing governments um, around blockchain technology. So do you think, like, say, third world or developing world is going to be the, 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 the main cat- Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know there's a huge opportunity here then because... I was actually, so you're obviously aware of the 25% inflation here wow, year on year. Wow, ridiculous. Um, but last year was like 40, I yeah. think. Yeah, and the guy predicted last week, that, or two weeks ago, that it would be 17 next year, but nobody believes him. There's like, it's going to be 20 plus. Um, but I was talking to, so you know I'm hanging out with um, my, my RG friend here, and 
I was talking to his mom last week, who owns a school. Fascinating. Whole different kettle of fish, but brilliant. Um, and she was saying that every six months, it's a private school, every six months, um, they have to re-change the fees because the inflation, inflation yeah. is so high that yeah. it actually it's not equal to what it was just six months ago. Um, it, it's remarkable. Maybe Argentini, Argentina. I, I see it happening. Be, no, yeah. I, I do. Yeah, that's very interesting. So yeah, you can see it being a a, a sovereign, um, you know, a sovereign kind of wealth and monetary hold in small or in developing countries. I I, I definitely see that uh, people are going to be opting to move from their national fiat currency over to yeah. uh, a more sustainable cryptocurrency. Yeah. Um, and like, I think that there's far more applications of blockchain technology than just currency, right? I think uh, the ways that organizations run, being able to like execute smart contracts, um, you know, we're able to, um, I, I mean, I believe that we will have some experiments in decentralized governments. Um, I don't know, we'll see. Uh, Estonia is, I believe, issuing their own uh, digital uh, cryptocurrency. Um, they're entirely on a digital identity system anyways. Like they've, um, They're building their whole uh, infrastructure off of the Ethereum blockchain. Wow. Um, so, I mean, we're already starting to see some like really interesting uh, applications for this stuff. But, I mean, I would... Uh, I, I have no idea where this is going, yeah. really. Like, we'll see. This is it, it is really one big experiment. And it's very exciting to see yeah. because it, it's going to be enormously disruptive. It's uh, fascinating. For sure. What about e-commerce? E-commerce. That's a that's an interesting one because as far as my... The, the, the stuff that I sell uh, going away, I, I kind of sat down one day and it's like, well, things are changing so rapidly probably and, and they're probably going to continue changing more rapidly. Uh, in the in the near future, so I started looking at it like, okay, these these trends, robotics, artificial intelligence, and um, and everything else moving forward, housing affect my business, uh, and and as far as and I won't get too far into that, but as far as the actual parts that I sell and the equipment that I I sell them for, they it moves heavy, they move heavy stuff. Yeah. Uh, so robotics, yeah, the maybe maybe the drivers of the equipment that that uh, people are working will change. Uh, it'll be driven by a robot instead of a person, but they're still going to need to move the heavy stuff. So there's still those all of those yeah. intricate parts. So in, in, unless we have some crazy invention in the left field, I'll still be able to sell those those parts. Um, so, and then as far as like the vehicle that we're using to sell in the sales channel, the e-commerce, um, I think the biggest possibility there from that would that would disrupt um, e-commerce is is you're starting to see like the uh, was it Amazon Alexa or yeah. Echo and Echo, the yeah. uh, Google and, Home and Google Home and then there's there's one more I forgot the name of it but Cortana Cortana yeah um, those like kind of personal assistant devices um, they're really interesting right now but they're kind of they're they're kind of limited once AI gets more advanced I think they could become more mainstream and. It'd be really interesting to see what could be done there with with e-commerce and it's particularly my my space to be able to have somebody just talk directly with that device yeah. and that device would then go out and find exactly what they need from the what from you know this all these different vendors and then deliver it to them. I don't think that's far off at all. Like that's a that's a year out of thing, isn't it? Well, it depends on the, the how advanced you want to get. You can already tell. Alexa, you know, order me some toilet paper. Mm. But it's for something more complicated like 
what I'm selling. Yeah. It's, it, it may be, you may need a much higher level of yeah, artificial okay. intelligence to, to find that stuff out. Yeah, interesting. So AI will come and play a bigger role, naturally. Mm-hmm. Very good. Okay, we'll go into the, the exciting quick fire, right? <laughs> quick fire, all right. I gave, like, I give everyone a bit of warning. So I gave you a little bit of warning in the cafe before, but <laughs> let's see uh, what you've come up for. So we'll just do, like, the same question, the one, two. Okay. Uh, starting with uh, a book. Like, so, you know, this is, uh, you know, Grad Life is kind of about helping people get, find the job they want and, and do well in that job once they get there. And as I, as I kind of summarized it last night, trying to avoid a... Uh, uh, quarter life crisis is, is part of it but also try to get the most out of the, the years that are ahead and the years they're living in as well so for me books have helped a lot with that um, inspiration or new perspectives or anything like that just the little nuggets that you get from them so any books that you would recommend either, either of you to, to these guys be they commercial or life or whatever any you know any uh, I know you're, a lot of your listeners probably already know about this one, but I, I took a lot out of uh, the four-hour work week. I was just about to say that. By Tim Ferriss. <laughs> yeah. It's like what, what uh, incepted Buenos Aires into our minds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You guys are like <laughs> living it. I, I read it a couple months after starting my business, and, and I was like, holy shit, like, I'm already 20% of the way there. Yeah. <laughs> I just need, to, need to keep going. And, and basically what the, what the book, for people that wouldn't know, it's, it it lays out some some principles that author Tim Ferriss um, found useful in, in creating his own uh, hands-off lifestyle, e- lifestyle business. Yeah. And so, um, and it's, I think it's really well put together. I've read it a couple of times and got different... Right, interesting. Okay, one of but, those rereads. Yeah, I, I think that's, as far as, is, um, there's a lot of like, really prescriptive advice there instead of just, you know, general motivation. There's, yeah, yeah. there's some very like hands-on tools that you can use. Yeah. So that was, that was, that was really good. And what, what you said earlier, avoiding a, a, a quarter life oh, crisis. crisis. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to be honest though, I don't know if you should avoid it. Sometimes they can be, they can be, um, productive. Mm-hmm. I, actually, I think I, I probably <laughs> had one. I, I like, there was, I, when I woke up one day and, like right before I started my business, I was like, I had heart palpitations at the thought of doing the same exact thing in five years. So that was probably the most pivotal moment yeah. for me going forward. So mm. maybe use it if you, if you yeah, have Yeah, for it. sure. Yeah. No, I'm a believer in that as well. So. Um, I do think that it can be good to run into a wall every now and then and, or maybe have like a bottom to bounce off, whatever it is. Um, yeah, you go through your own confusion as a good sure. thing. Yeah. I, I always refer to it as positive confusion. I like so my, this whole grad life thing, there's a couple of different things that have come off it, like, uh, like the idea of the ultimate optimist being the center of the book I've written nowhere. Uh, but it was going to be positive confusion because everyone goes through this seriously, really hard, confusing patch between maybe 20 and 25 or whenever. And it can really wear them down. They kind of, it can bring them to maybe a, a dark place. But I really do think it's positive confusion. If you look mm-hmm. at it right and you can, you can see that it, you're ruling a lot of things out at that period of your life, and that's very progressive to rule things out. Even if you're not finding what it is, keep ruling things out. It's very progressive, and eventually you get there. I think that 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 confusion is very positive. I agree. Lean into it. Yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Lean into it, and in like, so for me, I tried like I struggled after my heart stuff. I yeah, couldn't do yeah. sports. I tried like forty different sports. Like I tried fencing. I was in sword fighting one day. I realized that I didn't like it because there was too much footwork and stuff. And I, I thought it was just going to be sword fighting. But it was like too technical. Um, but I tried a lot of different crazy sports and, and got shut down by a lot of them for not being able to do them. And 
I'm glad I did it because it, you know, it broadens your horizons. It rules rules some things in, rules some things out, and you know, yeah, yeah as you say, lean into it, get get stuck into that confusion. Um, anyway, book. Yeah. Um, well, you mentioned your uh, audience is, you know, uh, a group that wants to kind of do really well in the workplace, like get a job they love and then do yes. really well there, right? Um, I recommend a book, uh, once again, by Seth Godin um, called Lynchpin. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's an excellent book uh, that really kind of creates a new paradigm for how you ought to interpret what a job is, what your role is at a company, like how you should be. And um, very much uh, um, is a book that you should read if you want to be someone who just excels in the workplace. Yeah. Yeah. You're clearly a big fan of uh, Seth Golden. I'm a fan of him too. Yeah, yeah. Who else inspires you? Who else should these guys maybe look at, look into, Google, read a book about? Sure, sure. Um, yeah, I do. Uh, I do really like Seth Godin, uh, Tim Ferriss, of course, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk. Yeah. Um, as far as book, I, I, there's there's a few guys who um, have written some things that are have been like incredibly helpful from a business perspective first of all the lean startup by eric reese yeah. is like incredible for understanding the lean methodology and like how to create uh you know an idea from a company out of nothing with limited overheads right limited over- overheads um uh, i would say that one was was very pivotal uh for me um no, who else? I think uh, oh, I re- that, that's 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 plenty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I took a lot out of uh, Ben Horowitz's book, uh, the uh, hard thing about hard, hard things. Hard thing about hard things. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I really enjoyed that. His he's got a really uh, uniquely positive attitude mixed with like with just an acceptance that you know starting and running a business like that is never going to be easy. And you just gotta suck it up and yeah. do the hard things. It's really, it's really interesting. He's got a lot of good advice in there. What I liked about that book was that it combined very hard, like it was, you know, it was this happened this day at ten o'clock, and then twelve that day was this. So it was very detailed, very hard facts. Sure. But then very human, mm-hmm. and he told you know you really got a sense of his emotional profile as he went through these things, and I thought um I, I thought that was a really good combination that he used in that book. I liked it. Yeah. Um, and he's uh, Mark. Um, Andreessen's partner, partner, yeah, yeah, yeah. VC partner. And so, guys, two of the biggest venture capitalist guys, they're both worth looking into for sure. Yeah. There's a very good interview actually um, on YouTube with the a guy I mentioned last night who's one of my biggest inspirations, Clayton Christensen, mm-hmm. who's the Harvard innovation professor and the author of a couple of books. But mm-hmm. he and Mark Andreessen are both in an interview together and it lasts for about an hour. And it's absolutely brilliant. Worth checking out. Yeah, very, yeah, 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 yeah. definitely worth checking out. Do you know Paul Graham as well? He's um he was the founder of Y Combinator. Ah uh, yeah yeah. yeah. Okay, so yeah. he's written a series of essays, of pub, you know, uh, Paul Graham's like startup essays and right. stuff. They're just I, like absolutely unbelievable. It'll change the way that you think about. I didn't know him. Yeah. I, I confused him for Benjamin Graham when he uh, said no, like, no. No, no. Paul oh, Graham. Okay, PG. I'm looking at him. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So anyone else then? If you like uh, the those those VC guys are yeah. very interesting. Those guys are are definitely interesting, but I mean. We talked about this last night. Personal uh, hero for me would be Elon Musk. Elon, Elon Musk. <laughs> yeah, sure. He's uh, yeah. he's done some incredible things, and I, I just really envy the fact that he's been able to work uh, on really really cool stuff in so many different industries. Yeah, he's got something. He's, he's got some kind of gift for breaking into every single industry he's in. Yeah, it's extremely difficult to get in. He's with you know with PayPal. 
it's the banking industry, right? Yeah. Like how many how many startups are in the banking industry? Yeah. And then, you know, a new car company. There hasn't been a new car company in the United States in a hundred years. <laughs> and then a space, a space company. <laughs> you wouldn't even dare to think about That's that. That's amazing. You yeah. know the story about that? He went to Russia yeah. and asked for like a quote on, on, on a couple of rockets or something and then ICBMs. he was like, Lads, this should be so much cheaper. <laughs> he just went and did that. Like, incredible. Yeah, I was telling you about this last night about um, there's a blog called Wait But Why. Yes. And uh, the guy, um, Elon called him up and said, uh, hey, like, you know, I'd like you to come see what I do and like write, write about me because his, uh, the wait, but why blog is all about taking really complex things and making it super accessible, really easy to understand. Yeah. And, um, it's amazing. I mean, literally it's a four part series. He talks about SpaceX, uh, I think, uh, Tesla, maybe solar city. I don't remember. Um, but then the last bit is about Elon himself and like understanding like the way that this guy thinks about the world and it yeah. is like worth its weight in gold. Yeah, I can't wait to read yeah. that. I'm, that's my favorite thing is to break down the personality of, of people who are doing remarkable things. Um, it's brilliant. Quotes, inspirational quotes. I don't know how inspirational it is, <laughs> but uh, um, I think it was Herculitis? 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 I'm not sure exactly. The, one of the Greek philosophers said, uh, "There's nothing permanent, but ch except change." Yeah, I, I I think that that's. I mean, it can be ins inspirational if you take it, depending on how you take it. But it's that it's just a, a fact of life that things are just constantly going to change. Yeah. There's only, I mean, it's only going to be this way for this moment in time. Mm. And it can uh, be like uh, empowering or strengthening. Yeah, it's and if you if you if you're able to understand that and. Um, I think that you'll have an easier time dealing with, mm -hmm. with the things as they come. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, but yeah, I don't know about inspirational, but it's definitely something that I, I think about often and um, was told to be to me by one of my mentors, uh, Rick and Shah, who's a um, very successful business person in India. He, uh, he always tells me, he's like, trust but verify. And I think like it's... It, it has made things a lot clearer for me because I guess one of the internal struggles that I'll kind of deal with is, you know, um, being overly trusting of my environment, you know, my, uh, you know, clients, business, I mean, whatever it is, is to just live in a way where it's like, yes, like you can have trust and like trust, but verify. Mm -hmm. And, uh, is that what uh, Ronald Reagan said, I think, about the Soviet Union? Oh, really? Yeah. Really? So. <laughs> Interesting. It reminds me, probably just because they're in my head, but uh, Andreessen Horowitz, the motto of that fund is um, strong opinions weakly held. Mm. So, you know, have your, have your opinion and have your kind of a position on something, but be open to it changing and um, having to verify it, etc. So, I don't know, it seems to be uh, convenient sure. because you were talking <laughs> about it, but it seems to be uh, kind of fit in between the two of us. Um, in terms of sort of like, not like regrets, but you know, highs and lows of, of, of the past couple of years, any trips or things you've done that this is probably the big one for both of you, I would imagine. Mm. Um, like I hear a lot of people saying, oh, I wish I did a couple of months in South America, but then I got caught up in a girlfriend or I got caught up in a job or whatever it is and kind of let it slip and never let it, or let it go. And I'm trying to help these guys prevent that. Um, if possible, or, or even just put an idea in their head, like, so far, I would definitely recommend going to Buenos Aires. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
Is, is, has there been anything like that in your lives? Uh, for me, um, one of my biggest regrets, and I generally try not to have regrets, so, um, but one of the things that I, I think that I should have done going back on it was uh, do a year or a semester abroad when I was in college. Yeah. When I was, that, I think that's one of the big motivations behind doing this trip was because I didn't have that experience. I had yeah. a friend that did a semester abroad and it, it really, I, I saw a lot of, a, a lot that he took out of it. And, uh, and I kind of wish I would have had that like experience to be in a, in a school a, abroad, but now, now I'm here. So yeah. <laughs> I'm making up for it. Yeah. But no, that's good. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't know about regrets. I, I wouldn't say that I, I live that way, but I would say that, uh, um, coming here, like I had a whole life in Houston, right? I lived there for, for four years before and really coming here, um, was, it was tough to break away from everything that I'd, I'd built up over, over the last, uh, several years. Yeah. Um, you know, social circle and just, I mean, I was a Houstonian, you know? Yeah. Um, so I would say that that was definitely a struggle, but, um, being here, you know, I've definitely adjusted and, um, and no regrets, you know? Yeah. yeah. Pretty good living. Um, and lastly, what would one change that you wish to see in the world be in your lifetime? I'll give my example. Yeah. I think that obesity is a problem that is rife, huge, really stifling the enjoyment of life for all, all the kids who are affected by it. Um, like I can't even imagine, say, the mental health issues that they're going to run into in their teens when image becomes a huge thing, etc. And um, probably a big factor in their self-esteem, etc. Like there's just so many financial health, like physical health crazy and um, they, they're saying that a lot of children in Ireland now and, and, and America to be honest it's probably worse particularly down south and um, mm-hmm. but they have a, you, you it, it's becoming a common thing to see 10 or 12 year old kids with the hearts of 40 year olds um, and live that lifestyle for another 10 or 12 years and it's probably gonna you know that's gonna go up and it's gonna be a bigger gap you probably have 20 year olds at the heart of an 80 year old and I'm one to talk with the, with the pacemaker, but I just, I, I think it's a very, very preventable, treatable, avoidable, unnecessary problem. Mm. Um, and if I was to see one change while I'm around, it would be that that problem just gets taken care of. Um, but what would be, are there any of those for, for you? Like, would you like to see people get off social media and talk to each other in cafes more? Like, any, you know, it could be anything. Uh, something more realistic than that, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I, I think, uh, there's, oh, there's just so much like to say we, we wish that cancer was cured and all of the, I think for me, the one that I would like to see the most, there's probably more important things than this, but I would like to see at least in my lifetime, we switch completely over from fossil fuels to, mm-hmm. to, uh, uh, renewable resources. It's very good to hear Texans say that. <laughs> <laughs> you needed to leave Texas before you said you could tell you something about that. Yeah. You've been bottling that up for years. Um, I don't know if they'll let me back in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, uh, for me, that's, that, that would be my number two. Again, I just don't, like, I, I see the barriers and I see the reasons to it, um, yeah. But I just think that should be done. It really just should be done. I mean, it almost has to be because we have a finite amount. Absolutely. Absolutely. Non-renewable resources. It's in the name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you there. I, I think that's a, that's a, it's a must and it's a 
let's just do it now. Let's just be more proactive and progressive with it. Yeah. You? Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that's been really weighing on me uh, since it happened has was been Las Vegas. What happened in Las Vegas? Yeah. The, the shooting and um, it. Like I feel so helpless and just so like, like, what do you even do? How can this even be prevented? Like, what would it take for us to live in a world where this doesn't happen? Yeah. And of course, there are like institutional things, you know, laws that can be passed. There's, you know, things we can do to make, you know, buying buying these kinds of weapons more difficult. But at the same time, like, in order for anything to really change it will require like a shift in global consciousness like people will need to relate to one another in a different way than they do now mm. do we live in such a us versus them paradigm yes. like i'm different from you and until like the world gets that like there is actually no distinction between each other yeah like we're going to keep having wars we're going to keep having like senseless shootings mm. we're going to keep having the violence that we just are bombarded with day in and day out and uh yeah i mean if, if there was one thing that i could change it would be um i guess it would be that yeah i find it um interesting that i think uh, it sounds like i'm ragging on, on social media a bit here but i just i'm just kind of into this connectedness thing and I think uh, a girl is sitting on a bus beside a boy and they're both on their phones. The boy isn't in the girl's world and vice versa. Only the people who are her friends on Instagram or whatever, who are in her cyber world are her world, you know? And I think that shift is underlying in, in a few of these things. And I'm not blaming social media for but it. It's as amplifying. I, exactly as I say, said, it's like amplifying. Said, yeah. But um, like, for as long as that boy is not in that girl's world, and they are separate, and as you say, there's a wall and a barrier between them, and it's me versus you, and you know, you're kind of in my way on the bus, as, as, as it often is with people. As long as that barrier is there, I think that it's going to be very hard for us to get this genuine connectedness um, again. And I really wonder if it's going to be, literally just now, having the thought, is the next disruption in, in connectedness and communication going to be uh, uh, bringing us back out of social media, uh, cyber, social back into kind of physical social real social I don't know it's very hard to imagine that happening well I mean in conjunction with t like trends like virtual reality now you're able to like experience empathy and experience like I'll, I'll give you I was at the South by Southwest uh, tech conference oh you went to that that's yeah, cool yeah I've been many years nice. and uh, one of I, I went to a booth and they, it was like a um, animal uh, rights booth and they had a VR experience there and so I go, and I have no idea. I was like, oh, yeah, I'll try it, right? And I put this on, and I'm literally seeing, uh, a, a, like, the process that, um, it's like the life cycle of, like, chicks all the way through, um, like, being raised and then ultimately being slaughtered. And you are there as right. the, from the perspective of the chick. Yeah. So you're, you look around, and there's, like, thousands of chicks all stepping on each other i mean you're i mean you, you see like the steroid injections you yeah see the, i mean it's horrifying it was absolutely horrifying and like that level of experience like has not i mean texting or like calling or even video chatting doesn't convey that sort of emotional i mean I'm, I, I 
think about that often. Mm. I still do eat meat and it's something that I've become more and more aware of. Um, and I think that these, these mediums, like a medium like virtual reality will, uh, kind of open things up to new experiences of empathy that, yes. that it's possible. And again, it's just a medium. It can be used for, you know, one way or another, there's going to be, you know, oversaturation of bad content on that platform as yes. well. And I think that what the medium opens, um, opens you up to allows for like perhaps like a reconnection like what you yeah. were talking about yeah i can imagine so when you started to talk about vr there I, the way i saw you going wasn't towards that educational side it was towards i'm sitting in front of you now but I, it would be more interesting if i was sitting in front of like a dinosaur who was doing tricks or something and then and like i just literally i don't even see you anymore i'd, I'd see a vr creation of mine <laughs> instead i wonder if it'll it'll have that impact too I think AR is, is going to be a, a natural progression of that. Just yeah. going to bring the you know social media into the world, so to speak. So you, if, if we had a you know AR that was advanced enough, I could have something where I'm when I look at you, I see information about your quote unquote profile or whatever yeah. it is. I could, and there's and you can talk about that yeah. for days, but yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Um, it's interesting to think about. But that connectedness is. Um, is a theme it's been on my mind this week because I was in an Italian restaurant the other day and an old guy was sitting beside me on his own and I just turned and started talking to him and I was like asking him how like just kind of general chit chat he's an Argentinian old fella and I was kind of thinking that so he went uh, my friend was here sitting opposite me he was on the phone so I started talking to the old guy friends off the phone he joins the conversation eventually the old guy just kind of drifted out mm -hmm. and he paid his bill and he was just sitting there and he was kind of looking in at us just subtly very obvious that he wanted to be brought back in mm. so I brought him back in and then after five minutes a little chit chat more he got up and left and happy as Larry walked out of the mm. shop and the way I kind of thought about it was and it's not to I'm not kind of I don't mean to praise myself here but what myself and my friend did for that old guy was probably much more than we thought because he was sitting in a restaurant on his own you know probably as a, like you know he obviously wanted to get a meal nice food and stuff but that was really a break from the streets for him. And I imagine the streets for him are a place where, he's feel, where he feels not just he is, like he has no role and not just like he, does, he doesn't play a part and that he doesn't belong there. I would say he goes so far as that a lot of old people today feel in the way. And Absolutely. It must be the most isolating experience for mm. him. It was, it was actually... Incredible. A burden, right? Yeah. yeah like yeah. I really, really think... Like sometimes I get this where like a massive wave of empathy where I just put myself in the other person's shoes and get sure. overwhelmed by sure. what might be their experience. And um, no, I you really, don't. You don't even know like yeah. the level of contribution that you you know gave to him. I'm sure. Like I I think like when someone does that, yeah. I think it can make a difference. Yeah. And that you know it, it it just chimes in. So I've been thinking about connecting this because of that mm. um, experience. And we're all going to be there one day. And if we're yeah. acting like this now, what are we going to be like? When we're, the, when we're his age, you know, and yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty, I wrote an article about it, it I was, that was the article I wrote, I was just about to put it up, and then I got bloody cyber, uh, <laughs> so hopefully I'll be able to put that up next week, touch wood, uh, with a bit of luck. I want to ask you, um, and I swear this is the last question, um, I want to ask you, talking about, um, talking about climate change, mm -hmm. you're both from Texas and, and, and spent some time in Houston. Mm -hmm. With what happened there recently, as soon as I see hurricane or whatever, uh, straight away, climate change. That was the cause. No, no real doubt. There's plenty of, 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 of evidence-based science there to show. 
And I think there's a, and my quick take on people will say there's a lot of evidence-based science to show that there's, there's no correlation between the two. I would definitely suggest that that is very much funded by people who have interests in oil and other um, non-renewable yes. resources. But as Texans, can you talk about like what that was like and has that increased your passion for this climate change fight? Or, or? Well, for me, it was particularly uh, um, personal because, of course, we live in Texas. We have um, my parents. My parents' property was damaged from one of the hurricanes, and then our um, one of our vendors was was put uh, out of business for a couple oh, yeah. of days. For uh, so we were we were kind of struggling there because of the other hurricane. So yeah. <laughs> these these uh, these hurricanes weren't weren't treating us well this year. <laughs> um, but so I started looking into it and 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 looking at that because yeah, it seems like there's been a lot more natural disasters recently, and you. Uh, would obviously want to contribute that to, to climate change, and so I started looking into it, and and um, what I found is that the, the like hurricanes are getting progressively more damaging, right? But right. we've also have we also have a lot more stuff that could be damaged than we did thirty years ago. Yeah, the economy's grown quite a bit, mm. inflation and everything else. So once you strip that down, both of those things, you know, and you account for inflation and GDP growth, you can't. That if you just assume that everything grows the same, like Miami grew as much as New York, yeah, yeah. so so on and so forth. Um, there's still an increase, but not as much as is made out is, is made out to be. There's still, there's still an increase, though. Uh, although, what, what about so you can measure the damage that is done, of course, but like economically and things that are, are, are ruined. But mm-hmm. the actual force of the wind surely is measurable as well. Have, did, did you look into that? On, on this is the first time in the recorded history that there's what two. Hurricanes with over, uh, I think it was 130 mile an hour winds. Yeah, because that would be simultaneously in the in the Pacific. Yeah, that's right, the natural. Sorry, the Atlantic. Obviously. The Atlantic, yeah. But yeah, that's that's it's the first time ever we've had two really strong hurricanes. Yeah. Okay. It's but, interesting. So that's that's definitely a precedent. Do you think the fact that it hit so close to home to a lot of these oil guys now and like, do you think there'll be a change of heart there at all? Or it's still what they. I mean, they can they can personally believe that, but at the end of the day. You know, um, oil's what takes home the money yeah. for them. So yeah, that's true. That's uh, they can they can have a change of heart all they want. They're but they're still gonna they're yeah. still gonna get the, change of careers. I mean, it's it's economics more than anything. I think. Yeah, it's interesting. Pablo. Yeah, I uh, actually my um, roommate and cousin uh, Sohel, who I lived with for the past four years, um, is founder of a company called Simplify Solar, and. Um, it basically, basically makes it very easy for uh, residential homeowners to get solar on their homes. Right. And uh, despite like so much of the um, economy in, in Texas being so entrenched with the, uh, the oil, oil industry, um, utility companies are still very interested in rolling out solar to their uh, um, homeowners, you know, people who are actually buying electricity from them. Yeah. And so... Um, that's actually the the way that they have been uh, successful. Simplify Solar has been working with various retail energy providers to use their platform and roll solar out to their um, to their clients. And so, I mean, we're seeing um, definitely a shift now that it's becoming more and more economically viable to be um, you know self sustaining or you know have solar panels offset majority of your uh, electricity bills. Um, and so, as the uh, the economics continue to make it. I think like the current administration's policies. Um, I'm I'm worried for like 
subsidies and I'm worried for uh, incentives around uh, solar to be impacted by it. But um, I think for the most part, like the, the economics now make enough sense for people to consider solar as an investment. Yeah, and yeah. I love what uh, Arnie, Arnie Schwarzenegger always talks about, like how the renewable space can actually be just as, as um, conducive to commerce and business and, and, and jobs and et cetera. Yeah. Um, as as the non-renewable there's, there's no reason it shouldn't be yeah without my own kind of numbers being done I, I certainly agree with the theory and the principle and I'd, I'd love to see that being um, more kind of carried out yeah anyway thanks so much guys that was an absolute pleasure having <laughs> yeah, you on that was awesome thank you so much um, yeah, thanks for having us on yeah it was really really cool definitely very inspiring for uh, for me and for a lot of the guys listening I reckon as well so um, looking forward to hearing the feedback there Let's go to the Santelmo markets and watch some salsa dancing. Sounds good. <laughs>